0: Welcome back to After the Ninth. I'm Cass Patterson with Dayton Sutherland. And, well, it'll be a year in June since we last recorded one of these. So, hi, Dayton.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, it's been a while, but we will start getting back in the rhythm of it uh, now that we actually have a full season up ahead and, and places to go next summer.
0: Well, that's kind of an exciting thing because since we started the podcast, we had we started midway through a season that you weren't even on the WPCA then 2020 hit and I think we all would like to forget 2020 and then last year it was a condensed season but even with being a condensed season it was still pretty busy especially for you as a driver
1: yeah I was very busy last season just because we didn't really have a lot of money to go around sponsorship was actually really really strong last season for myself personally but there wasn't a lot of, you know, like those big shows like Calgary and, and Pinocchio wasn't the same. And um, so there was a lack of funds that way. So I you know, didn't have a barn hand or anything and shoeing all my own horses. I was out riding a few heats. High River, I was driving two wagons. So I really only went to four or five shows last year, but it, it was pretty busy every show I was at. So I actually didn't even end up obviously going to the rest of the shows. Um, I didn't race. And uh, where did I miss? Rocky Pinoka. Um, I, I contemplated going to Dawson, but it was it was enough. I don't know what I how many races I got in last year with both outfits. Maybe about thirty. This season coming up, it'll be fifty-two or fifty-four race nights. In recent memory, the most race nights we've ever had, including Calgary, is fifty-two. So, you know, it's a, it's a really really full season coming up. So that should be pretty exciting for everybody.
0: Well, and I think what's exciting is even with being a condensed season last year, you saw kind of different guys get up into that top 10 uh, with Aubrey Motowillo getting up there and winning the world title.
1: Yeah, it's you know, I was up there too in, uh, like, Say High River. I was actually in – would have been up in Dawson and Strathmore as well, Um, just missing shows and stuff like that. You know, if you're only going to four shows, if you miss – three of them uh, i dropped pretty low in points but i'm only referencing myself just because i'm an easy target but uh, there, there's been a i would say a, a lack of com- uh, competition We've gone over this a couple times on this podcast but it's at a point in the sport where a lot of the old guys who've been dominant for so long talking the past 30 years almost like pests that you couldn't quite get away, guys like you know my grandpa, Reg Johnstone, uh, Rick Fraser, Jerry Bremner. You know the list goes on. Those guys are all out of the sport, so the sports are a lot thinner. The competitions a lot thinner, so you'll see guys. And to be fair, you know, at the same time, guys like myself or Aubrey, I mean, he's quite a bit further along the line than me, but he hasn't exactly been a, a world champion in the past. So it, it's just a, its just a, almost like a passing of the torch the last couple of years as a lot of those old guys are out. And then now it's kind of like the, the new generation of, you know, dominant champions you'll see. So guys like, uh, obviously, Ben Miller's a little bit ahead of everybody else, but You know, guys like Aubrey and and Vegan, those types of characters. So, yeah, it's an exciting time. You you never know who's going to win now. And, uh, yeah, I guess everybody's just just trying to climb to the top.
0: Well, in talking about competition and that, so – The WPCA announced this year that they were doing that permit system, which means that there will be the possibility of guys from the CPC and that coming over for a few shows to, you know, compete. And the guys who came over from the CPCA in the runoff, uh, back in 2019 actually got to compete last year and they held their own during last season. So, I mean, do you think that's going to build on the competition?
1: Yes and no. I think that's the permit driver. So, so the permit situation, the inception of it to start, first of all, again, using myself as an example, the, the year we started the podcast in 2019, I was racing on the Westerns, uh, the WCA up North and the peace country. I, I, I couldn't quite afford the WPCA. I'd been on it for two years prior or something like that. And then just kind of ran out of money, ran out of sponsorship, wasn't doing as well as I wanted to. I decided to go to WCA. I think it was two or three years in a row, I would come in in the second half of the season and, you know, take a spot. So like when Mike Vegan retired, I took his spot. I, I forget the the rest of the guys that I took their spots, but I, I was always coming in and, and filling in. So, I don't know the exact person who came up with the idea is, but um, I brought it up at a, at a meeting in, um, I, I forget, maybe last year, the start of last year, last winter, saying like, you know, maybe there is a better way to bring guys onto our tour. and And especially for myself, like, advocating for myself I said I think that I'm a I think I'm a good addition to the the tour obviously I I think I can bring value to the WPCA yet I couldn't ever make a runoff for three years or whatever you know I was the the last one I went to just really really ran out of horsepower I didn't have any horsepower to, to begin with but um, I had borrowed a couple horses from dad and, and I could never make a runoff because the runoff is, is just, a, it's so chaotic. First of all, a lot of the tracks we raced at on the, for the runoff are half mile. And there's only one half mile track that we race at on the WPCA. So that's kind of an inaccurate representation. The other thing is, is there, there's no, you know, roster for your horses. You can basically beg, steal and borrow from absolutely anybody. And I borrowed a couple horses from my dad every time I went, but you know, I wasn't borrowing the, the, necessarily the best ones or anything like that i was just borrowing horses that you know i, I literally wouldn't have the right leader so i'd borrow a right leader and uh there was other guys that would I, I don't know what they would borrow if they would borrow the absolute best horses from you know others or whatever but you wouldn't get an accurate representation of what that guy who's at the runoff would bring down the road for 52 race nights of the season so in my opinion could never make them the wpca when i was trying to get on uh through the runoff so it just was a very very poor system to bring in new guys so how do you do it well the way things worked out i ended up do- using that system sort of for the last three or four years and getting on the wpca by you know kind of being a permit driver i guess you could say uh you know i was familiar with the wpca a lot of people knew me on the board and you know the presidents and stuff obviously i outrode and and had drove before and uh young guy starting out so Um, instead of, you know, having to go through the sanctioning process, having to, you know, be voted on to jump in, um, things like that. I I just always seem to get that spot. So that's kind of where the idea from the the permit um, standpoint came. Again, I don't know whose uh, original idea was. I remember bringing it up in a meeting and uh, the guys on the board last year brought that all into inception now and the way the process works as of right now is you can sign up to be a permit driver. There's 35 drivers on the WPCA right now. Certain shows will allow as many wagons as possible, especially like Grand Prairie, I'm assuming Dawson because they don't have the WCA anymore. I don't think the WCA is running. So a lot of those guys, most of those guys are permit drivers now, which is on a side note, that's the downside to it because, you know, we lost a whole association. And in my opinion, a whole other association Having that is a lot stronger than having 13 guys fight for two spots on the WTCA, but that's nobody's fault. I mean, it's just uh, it's a product of the times that we're in and, and how the sport's being run. Regardless, you know, there's about 13 guys that are going to be competing for those spots. Some shows, like Grand Prairie, like I mentioned, will have, you know, 40, uh, 50 wagons. Uh, so we'll have an endless amount of heats, And uh, those permit guys will all compete for points. And, you know, coming out of that first show, the highest guy in points for the permit driver will be awarded the first spot. And then the second guy in points will be awarded the second spot. And then if there's no spot after that, then those guys maybe can't come to the next show. If they only want 37 wagons or or 40 wagons, then you can bring in 35 guys, you can bring in five guys. So that's just kind of how it's going to work. And then I'm not sure how it's going to work for who gets in on the WPCA following the season. but So it's it not...
0: says in the release that in 2022, the top 34 wagons, permit drivers included, have okay. the season to earn a full-time spot
1: in 2023. So the top two permit, wa- yeah. So I, I don't really agree with that. Uh, I'm not in love with that idea personally because it's like, what happens if there's more permit guys that should be on the WPCA and what happens if there's 36 very comp- wagons and you have five slouches in the permit spot um it's just like like i i don't know how you i don't know how you perfect it maybe you let the board you know make a decision take a vote or something um based on the year because you know there is an element to it like of being responsible for bringing on the right guys you know for for the wpca because the competition is really really thin as is there's only 60 wagon drivers in the world, you know, you want to really be careful and, and you want to pick the best guys possible because, you know, if you don't, if you don't pick a guy or say, you know, third guy in the crying hole, if only two guys get on. And, and that third guy's a, you know, a young guy needs to get on the WPCA or he can't race anywhere else. It's too expensive to go to Saskatchewan. Um, there's no WCA anymore. The, the, like if you, if you, if you get that guy out of the, the sport, It's just a matter of time for those types can't hang on any longer. So you don't want to lose those guys in the sport. And and I was in that position for a long time, too, because, you know, I'm a guy that's going to race for another 40 years if all goes well, or maybe not 40, but, you know, 30 something years. I don't know how you perfect that system, but I guess that's the system that they're going with. Um, Maybe it'll change. Uh, by the time the season's done, it, it, it is a really nice addition as well because it allows guys, you know, Brett Nolan's a buddy of mine, and I keep telling him, like, this is a really, really big deal in the sport because, you know, prior with the runoff, you would have had to go and buy, say, you know, 15, 20 horses, maybe not for the runoff. You borrow a whole barn from somebody's try and race, see if you make it. If you do make it, then you'd have to go buy 30 something horses. Um, a liner, a truck, and then you got to have a place to train, you got to have feed, you got to have a place to winter, all these different things, just like a, a huge raw upstart cost, right? And then you wouldn't even know if you were any good. You've only raced at one show before. Um, so there's, you know, an awkward period of trying to make it and, and figure things out. And there's so much money in the WPCA, like, to be spent, not to be made, And uh, so it's really, really tough for a new guy back then to um, start out. And then now a guy like Brett Nolan, if he's got any interest in the sport whatsoever, all he needs to do is borrow four horses from his dad, where his dad can hook two wagons, use his dad's wagon, and then Brett can go run outfits. He can, he can get his own sponsor, they can switch the tart just like a guy would with two outfits, and then uh, he can clean up, he can make you know six $8,000 profit off his sponsorship tart. Maybe pay the old man a little bit and pay your outriders, pay your ferry, or whatever. And you walk out with all that profit, it's like a, it's an experience too, right? So, so you can kind of build off that. Maybe you want to focus on racing at three shows next year. Maybe you want to focus on racing at four shows. As long as we can get enough wagons, permit wagons in heat, as long as we can have, you know, 40 wagons at, at most shows, it'll be a really, really big positive for new young guys starting out. It'll be a lot more affordable. You know, I never
0: even thought about it that way, but that is very true.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it's huge. Like, it's, you know, for myself, like, I would have, you know, I, I this whole process for me getting started, I mean, I almost quit three times. Like, I, I did quit three times, actually, and just kept getting drugged back into it, you know, and it was just so tough to, like, get started. And it's not like it was when, you know, my dad started or anything like that, because, one, everything is so inflated, especially within the last year uh thanks to our genius uh prime minister um i'm comfortable making a political comment there because i think everybody's pretty much on the majority side of disliking Trudeau right now so um that's my jab but anyways you know there's it's just so much money right now and, and again the whole process that i just explained before trying to get into the runoff and then all the upstart costs not to mention you're not even any good when you start and it's a really, really big problem in the sport right now. If you look at all the guys, all the new guys who've started, say, in the last decade, like 90% of them are like 35 and older. The sport has forced guys to start at an age where they can't develop any natural ability. When you're starting at 16, you can still develop that natural ability, that intuition, um, maybe if you're raised in it. You can still grow that natural talent, but when you're 35 and you're trying to learn how to drive a wagon, I just really don't think that that same experience can be built, especially at that age. It's, I mean, it's uh, scientifically proven. It's harder to learn things the older you get. Your your mind's not near as malleable. Not to mention, you're probably not as comfortable because you didn't grow up, you know, uh, fearless as a kid and and uh, in it. So that's also another problem with the sport because it, it diminishes the talent and it diminishes the Skill level and the competition of the drivers and of the sport, just because you you can't get those young guys started. So, like, think about if you know you're trying to play hockey and you're just learning how to play hockey or play golf. at 35 years old. Maybe you swung a stick three times a year before that or whatever. Uh, Maybe you rode horses your whole life. Maybe you're like John Walters and you're a cowboy. Um, And now you're making the transition into wagon racing. You know, there's lots of guys that can do it. And and John did a very good job of it. But think about how good John Walters would have been if he was racing a wagon at 16. Or Chance Flabs, another example. Chance Vegan's another example. Uh, He started, you know, 30-something years old, I think, or, or in his late 20s. And, you know, those guys should start when they're 16. Like that's just the uh, that's the cold hard truth. You just you should start as soon as you're able and and physically strong enough. So, anyways, that's a long winded rant. Um, that's a really really big uh, positive in the sport right now, having these permit guys and able to come onto the WPCA.
0: Well, it's interesting because I just pulled up both the WPCA and the CPCA websites, and if you look at the WPCA, out of 36 drivers that you have there, three of them are under the age of 25.
1: Yeah, yeah, me, Lane, and uh, Tuff, right?
0: Yep, and then you go over to the CPCA, and the only one that looks to be under the age of 25, um, or really around there, is uh, Amber, and I don't know if Dale Mitzwing swing is around that age or no, not. No,
1: he's older, I think. I could be wrong, but I think he's older. Yeah, he's older. Um,
0: so Amber's really the only one that's around that age. And she's she's still older than 25. So if you look at all those drivers combined, we only have three guys that are under 25. That's crazy.
1: Well, even, even I started a little bit later. I mean, I didn't blow out my first outfit. I blew out my first outfit in Bonneville, and then I blew out the next outfit at the next show, Uh, when I was 16, and then another show later, I was racing in the runoff. Like, um, that was the runoff. The first runoff I went to was, you know, the fourth time it ever held four lines. So it's just like, even myself, I feel like I started late, because then I took a year off, and then I came back, and then I only raced two shows. And, you know, my first full season was at, like, I don't know what it was, 19 years old, I think, maybe a little bit older. So I've really only been at it, uh, what is it, 19 twenty and we missed basically two so I got three full years under my belt, maybe four full years under my belt. So even I feel like I, I started late and I grew up in it and, and I, you know, had all the opportunity in the world. So it's like for those other guys, even, you know, if if I started at sixteen and, and Amber starting at twenty-six, um, you know, it's pretty hard to compete uh with that, you know. It it's just uh it it's it's a huge, huge problem in our sport and there's two ways to fix it, which we go over later. But uh, it, it's definitely an issue. We need guys starting younger, we need to support young guys and, and again from um, this, this permit style is really, really good for that because those, you know, kids that have dads that are racing, um, they can borrow four horses and a wagon and race for one show.
0: So you made have your nice little jab at Trudeau, which, you know, I don't really think many people who listen to our podcast are gonna disagree with. But that brings up oh. a good kind of issue that you know, a lot of guys are gonna be facing going down the road this year. Price of gas, price of feed. And then, you know, even yourself, you've talked about adding more horsepower to the barn. Well, how do you do that when you're trying to sustain the barn that you already have?
1: Yeah, it's it's next to impossible. It really is. Like even for myself, that's why I've you know threatened to quit three times or whatever is I would always dump every single dime I had and then more from any source of revenue whether it was, you know, my full-time job or whatever, um, back into the horses and back into the barns. And, you know, I was just constantly broke for like three, four years, just trying to hold on. Um, and, and I wasn't even competitive because I couldn't even afford the horses. I couldn't even afford to barely feed them. We feed a pretty heavy diet, you know, self-feed oats year-round, good hay year-round. I don't necessarily pay for a farrier because I do it myself, but, you know, I'm not Eye on the cost that way, I really make sure I look after my horses, vet bills. I get X-rays done if, I, if, if I'm worried about something. I get them scoped. Uh, if I'm curious about their breathing, I really make sure I do my due diligence that way because the horses are the only thing that matters. So, anyways, to go back to your question, it's really really hard to first of all buy horses in Alberta right now. I think the you know low end for a horse off the track is like five grand. It's it's insane, and then let alone buy, you know, broke chuck wagon horses, which the prices come down. But still, it's it's a really big upstart cost, not to mention when you have all the other upstart costs. And then you get into like the the, the general cost like seed. I mean, I just texted my dad. Uh, I, I fed oats today. We fed 300 bushels of oats last week. So I'm not sure what we spent on the last load of oats we got, but for about 1,800 bushel or 2,000 bushel, Um, delivered I think it was about $9,000 maybe more I I could be wrong I I have to look at the bills but regardless (laughs) that's just feed we're going to have $1,500 to $2,000 of feed for just the winter in every single horse when you add that up I mean if I have 30 horses that's going to be about 60 grand and that's just that's just to feed them in the winter my whole sponsorship last year and prize money and everything um, outriding money uh, my whole revenue was around about 40 grand at at five or six shows. So, you know, I'm I'm in the hole 20 grand from last year already. So it's just like, and I, you know, I haven't even, that's not even, that's, that's just for feed. That's not buying horses. That's not worrying about gas or, or any sorts of those bills that I still have to pay. So it's just like, it's, it's next to impossible. And then, you know, we're, we're going to Calgary and we only have 27 wagons. That leaves about 10 guys in the crying hole now, give or take, those guys are maybe on permit spots or that are have to go to the full WPCA spot, you know, to, to, to gain points, to even have a shot at making Calgary. And on, a, and on another side note, that's the toughest spot on these whole associations when you're on the WPCA, but you're not on Calgary. If you're on a permit spot, you're, you're a bit better because um, you don't have to race at every single show. But if you're on the WPCA, you damn near have to race at every single show just to get the points, just to get higher in the standings just to eventually get to Calgary. So it's just uh, the structure is really, really poor right now, and it has been for a long time. I would, I would guess about a decade, and that's, again, going back to the reasons why guys are starting late and why we're losing so many older drivers and not replacing them with anything. So the the, the, the gas prices, the feed prices, the price of horses, uh, it, just, it just makes it, again, next to impossible if you're not in Calgary
0: so let's try to find you know a happier topic you got it was announced that you are the demo driver this year in calgary so what does that look like for people who don't
1: actually understand first off calgary used to have 36 wagons everybody knows that we didn't go last year um that was a big you know uh, a big deal for a lot of people i think it was in the media a little bit a lot of fans weren't too happy um, Calgary's decided to bring us back uh the WPCA, that is, and some CPCA drivers, I, I don't know, four or five of them, but they have eliminated one wagon from each heat. So now 27 guys are going. There used to be two demo spots. Now there's only one. When they first started the demo idea, I believe there's only one as well. But what the demo spot is, is you're basically the um, demonstration driver. It's called like Chuck Wagon 101 or something. After all Canada, uh, before everybody goes out and releases the first seat or ever, one lone wagon, which will be me, two outriders will do a demonstration to show, you know, maybe some of the more green tourists, what they're going to see. Um, you know, I'm, I'm very, very glad that I got that opportunity. Yeah, uh, I'll I'll be the 101 driver for everybody else, and then I'll probably do some outriding after.
0: That's really interesting. And, I mean, it is exciting for you that you got that and that, so, um Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's it's, again, it's the whole point of it is is hopefully to get a spot in Calgary next year. There's lots of positives. There's still lots of stuff that could change. You know, the the world's so crazy right now that, you know, who knows, we thought we were going to Calgary this time last year as well. Everything looks good. I I don't hear any whispers of things going awry. It's just who knows, right? There's lots of stuff that could change. So um, the goal is to get to Calgary to get to a spot where I can compete there and, and uh, have a shot at winning, and then obviously the the once you get into Calgary actually and you can sell your tarp, um, you can get that that tarp money, and then that's basically when you start breaking even, maybe even making a bit of profit, and then if you have a job you know outside of wagon racing where you can bring in some revenue, that's when you can really start to expand and build. A lot of guys you know you have to buy a farm, you have to buy a line you have to buy all that stuff still, but you can at least start to buy more horses, get stronger talent in your barn, more depth. And uh, that's when guys really start to typically turn the corner in their career is making that Calgary money for a few years. Um, you, uh, I was just talking about Chad Fike, um the other day. Um, he's a perfect example of that. You know, The last few years, he's really started to put together some really, really solid outfits where he'll get day monies and he'll be really competitive. He might not be the top echelon. Uh, as we speak. But look at how long he's been in Calgary now. He's been in Calgary for a handful of years, um, starting to get it all figured out and putting it all together. So, you know, that's, that's the typical progression for a wagon drivers. Once you're in Calgary, they can start to build their barns.
0: And I, he, Chad's a great example, and it's funny. Maybe I'm a little bit biased because I spent my entire summer with that barn, but they, they play with what combinations work. And then when he finds a combination that works, he grows it. Like, he really does um, grow it. And it, it, it reminds me of kind of a hockey team and the way they put their lines together. And, you know, mm-hmm. once you find a line that works, it, you don't really mess with it, but you work with it and you practice with it and you find – uh, the little nuances within your players, or in this case, within your horses, uh, to make sure that you get the best out of them that you absolutely can.
1: Yeah, it's and it's just like a hockey team in the sense too that like everybody will play with different systems or or you know a little bit different. Everybody's got a different coach, and uh, in chuck wagon racing, everybody's got a different driver. So each driver will look for certain things. Some drivers have more ability. Some have less. So, meaning some can drive more horses, uh, have a wider, you know, range of horses to pick some. Some have to be a little bit more critical. But it's the same thing in my barn, you know, uh, and and that's part of being new as well. I think guys like you know maybe my dad or or Ben's Miller, those guys have been around for a long time. They've driven a lot of races. They've gone through a lot of horses in their career. So they've they've done a lot of fiddling and figuring it out and they have a they have a better eye of where a horse should go when he should go there how long he just stay on the wheel when he moves into the lead what a new horse is going to develop into whereas like maybe somebody like chad who's only raced for 10 years you know literally lacks half the experience or three or um sorry 150 percent of the experience that those other guys um have so you're still kind of playing around with it and, and figuring it out and there's still a feeling out process and you know um, for myself in particular that's been like a huge huge learning curve for me for the first few years because i always had like a, a real i uh, i don't know how to say it um i i i, I made it very very important and and i was very particular on using new horses because there's always, always, always a horse out there that's that's the next superstar, that's the next, you know, franchise player, you could say. And those are the horses that you can build a career off of. If you have 10 of them in a career, you can build your career off of those horses. They make all the other horses around them better and you better in a way too, right? Like, obviously, they'll speed up your outfit. They'll, they'll, you can learn from them. And I've always, always looked for those horses because of my grandpa's experience and, and what he taught me, I, you know, I know that there's those horses out there. So... For the first few years, I just kept going through horses and kept driving new horses. Like when I was in the WCA, I drove new horses the entire year. Last year, I drove new horses, brand new horses, three of them all together, one old horse on the lead on both outfits. So I had, you know, out of out of two outfits, um, I had six brand new horses last year. And, and maybe not brand new. Um, some were first or second year horses that ran on the wheel and I move them up to lead or whatever. But those sorts of things, they're all really new. I have a habit of doing that just because I'm always trying to find those, the, the, the next superstar. I'm constantly washing out the average old horse's Um, for younger horses that may not be as good, but um, they could be a superstar. And I originally thought that that would be a quicker way to, you know, get to the top and and whatever. And uh, I don't know if it was or wasn't. I'm certainly coming into my own, my barn certainly coming into its own. I've got a lot of really, really nice young horses that I can lean on for the next 10 years, providing everything stays sound, and healthy, and and those sorts of things. And anyway, that's just kind of like a, a little bit of an insight of what it's like to be a new new driver you know if it was a older driver who had 20 years experience starting over maybe they would have done that process that i'm going through right now and that chad's mostly through a little bit smoother
0: sorry when you were talking about your outfits all i could think is your outfit with bogart on the uh right lead
1: but you know yeah that that that, that's the exact outfit i mean in, in uh dewberry i had a horse named ray who was from iowa he wasn't brand new but he was he was new in iowa And he'd never been in a WPCA race before. And then I had Giant, who was a first year horse on the wheel. And then I had Henny, who was a, he had about 10 races a year before on the wheel. And then I was racing him on the left lead. And then I had Bogart, who has been around for a long time, used to be on the short barrels. And then I took him from my dad and uh, he was whatever it was, 17 last year, and uh, I started using them on the one barrel because I had to use the only horse I had, and, you know, those sorts of things. So you just you put one old staple in, if you can, three young, fast ones that look like they have some promise, and keep them together and let them work together, and, you know, as the season goes on, they start to feed off of each other, and they get better and better, and they figure it out more and more. You just lean on those old horses, and, and Bogart was one of them.
0: Um, A horse that I want you to talk about a little bit, because, I mean, you were pretty excited about how he was uh, doing uh, Sugar. I could talk all day about this horse.
1: So Sugar originally came from Chad, and then Chad Fike had him on the left wheel, I believe he told me. Uh, And this is, you know, 70 years ago. This horse is quite old now. And then uh, he said he started so hard. He was just this skinny uh, young horse. I think his grandpa gave him to him, Ron. It was a good wheeler for a few years. And then I don't know what happened with Chad and Sugar. I don't think, I think Sugar's kind of a problem horse. I think he's always been a bit of that. And he's, and he's a little bit like that for me as well. Meaning, you know, he kind of messes around in the barrels and, and he doesn't necessarily throw wrecks, but he kind of like explodes and, and tries to come out of his collar. And it's, it's 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 not that he doesn't want to race because he's a great, great horse to race, but he's got all this nervous energy almost. Donna, David, Chad's mom, said it the best. She said, with him, it's just always chaos. He just he he's a chaotic horse. He's the most sweet and kind and gentle horse, like in the barns. Um, kids can ride on him, like you can walk him around, they can crawl underneath him, he doesn't move, he's not excitable that way. But um when you hook him to a wagon, he's just he's he's explosive, he's he's insane, he's you know, doing all kinds of different things. So Anyways, I'm not sure what happened exactly with Chad. I never got the full story. But long story short, I believe Ron uh, took him back to the track, raced him in Edmonton, and then Jordy took him. And Jordy had him, Chad's brother, Jordy Fikes, took him and had him on the left lead in Calgary. And I believe it was, his, it was one of his best horses. He was on the long barrel for him. And, uh, you know, he's working really, really well. And maybe this is two, three years ago or whatever it was. I, uh, Sugar started, I guess, you know, going in sideways. He was on the left lead and he would he would uh, mess up, you know, young horse in the right lead or a good horse in the right lead because they wouldn't drive in and be, you know, crooked for your barrels and stuff. When the horn went, he would go. Sometimes he'd rear up or whatever, I guess. Uh, I, I don't know the complete details. We'd have to get Jordy on to talk about it. But regardless, we had this study uh, fast forward to last year with the U of C with a professor, uh Renault, who is an expert on wind systems and, and breathing for, for thoroughbreds, I'm like one of the premier experts in the world. And we had this study last year at our place and we would test the horses, VO2 max and, and wind and, and using basically an, an asthma inhaler. Um So we tested horses uh, that he felt had high chances to have asthma and long story short we gathered horses from all over the WPCA we had 10 of ours and about 10 of everybody else's and one of those horses was sugar so I wasn't exactly doing the barn chores because I was racing but I was always around sugar and he was in the study and I was looking for it was in it was in halfway through High River Bogart I mean he's 17 the year before that um or in 19, sorry, he had got run into by a loose outriding horse in Century Downs. He was sore for like a year after that. Um, It wasn't in the legs or anything. It was like a structural up high in his back end or something. He's just, at that age, Bogart's been around a long time. He's just, he's almost a little bit fragile. He's not fresh. He's not recovering like he used to, obviously. So, and I only had him for what, two shows. And I felt that he, I had raced him quite a bit. I'd raced him, you know, two nights a weekend for, three weekends and then all the spring training and whatever but he was just backing off a little bit again going back to what I was saying earlier I I have an obsession with finding that next new horse and trying to phase out those older horses so um, I knew I had to replace Bogart at some point and it just came a lot quicker than I thought Um, in High River I I didn't think that Bogart was going to be the horse that I needed for the rest of the season so uh, at that time I was looking for a right leader Um, a good old right leader that would start hard and, and turn the barrels and, and lead the three new horses around the track kind of thing. Like, like be the, the experience, the quarterback. And, you know, I was the guy on the back on the study that would blow the horses out. We would, we would run them and they would have a mask on. we put the mask on and then, uh, test their VO2 max when they're running in high river. Sugar was one of those horses. So I was riding Sugar. And, you know, the more research or, or homework, I guess, or, or things I heard about this horse, the other thing, too, is all the girls that were doing the barn chores, the girls that were part of the study, they all love sugar. Like, he's just such a sweetheart. Like, he's just, a, he was a favorite of everybody. Everybody really liked sugar. And when I was doing the study, actually, Ron David pulled up on the, uh, on his little gator or whatever, and we were just talking and chatting. And I asked him, I said, well, what about that sugar horse? And that's when he started to tell me that, you know, before this, I had no idea. I just kind of like the horse. I'm always uh, in the buyer's market. I had no idea about the, the history about him being on Chad's good outfit and then Jordy's good outfit. And, and they just don't really, you know, get along with him And, and uh, you know, he had had the horse at the racetrack racing him. So once I started hearing all this stuff, I was like, okay, I got to try and get this horse no matter what. So I texted Jordy. Um, as soon as I heard from him. And uh, I said, is sugar for sale? And he had, and I just talked to Jordy for like an hour before that and uh, no reply. So I was like, oh my gosh, he's probably not for sale. He's probably ignoring me. He knows I want the horse because it's also kind of like a thing that like those types of horses, like my dad had one too, uh, which was winter, which was a horse that helped me win Rocky in 18. He was exact same thing. Just a problem horse drives in sideways, throws wrecks before the horn goes, gets you all out of out, out of shape. When the horn goes, he's the best horse on the outfit. And I think there's, you know, kind of like, a, not like a personal grudge, but there's like some, some. there's some tension between a guy and that horse. Like you, you love the horse, but it's just, you don't, you know, it, it, there's a little bit of problems and he could be so much better for you if you just stop doing that one thing. And so I, I, I kind of got the sense of that. Um, I don't know, we'd have to ask Jordy. Uh, later on but I kind of got the sense of that, that that he was the type of horse that never grew up to his potential in Jordy's barn and you know keep in mind he's 14 or 15 last year I'd have to look but you know he's an old horse now so I think Jordy was just kind of ready to get out on him but anyways I texted him and no replies I was like oh, he probably wants to keep him he doesn't want to get rid of him because he thinks that maybe he knows that there's more potential in this horse yet to be had um, maybe he's a horse that you know can still be of use on a spare outfit or whatever so i didn't hear about from jordy i wheel over i bike over to his barn and and as soon as i like set my mind on something like i have to have it like i yeah, i can't let it go so i go over to jordy's barn and and uh he's there and sitting down and i'm not sure why what he was doing uh if i think he was in town or something didn't reply to my text and i said you didn't reply to my text you don't want to sell them or what like just kind of joking or whatever and he goes well i, I don't know i might sell him and um, maybe I had the wrong impression that, you know, he didn't have any, maybe he didn't have those feelings for the horse because he, because he, we, we worked at a deal right there and I wasn't, I asked him what he wanted for him. And, you know, I thought that he'd probably be pretty cheap because I think Jordy's plan was to probably outride him. He's a 15 year old horse. I asked Jordy, I said, well, if he's an outriding horse for you, I'll trade you my best outriding horse. Um, and I, I didn't have a lot of, outri- I didn't have any outriding horses. Actually, that was my only outriding horse, but he was a good outriding horse. <laughs> because I got him from Mitch two or three years prior and he was, his name was crew leader and he was a $50,000 claimer. I think that Kirk had claimed and, and the fastest horse I've ever ridden. And crew was about the same age. He was about 15 years old. is an absolute pig in the barn. He's, he's a pig to deal with. He's, he's intimidating. He's hot. He sweats. He washes out. He's pawing. He's, he's that type of horse. He's just spoiled his whole life. But as an outriding horse, you know, I, I only ever was late on him once in all the years that I rode him. You know, you, he was always a really good outriding horse for me. And he, he was so fast that no matter what barrel you're on or who you're riding for, if you really had to run or, or catch your wagon, um, that was the horse that you would send because he's, he's got so much run. So I, I told Jordy, I said, I'll trade you my, my outriding horse, his same age, um, for sugar, if, if that's okay. If not, I'll buy him. And uh Jordy said yeah and 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 we made the deal and we both said, you know, if you're not happy with them or you're not happy or I'm not happy with them, um, you know, we both offered said so just let me know and we'll work something else out, we'll pay pay each other or whatever. And Jordy was really, really good to deal with that way and man, like I I can't thank him enough for getting the horse because once I started driving this horse I, I raced him once or twice in the left lead in, in High River in my second outfit. And I just played with Bride a little bit. It was also like getting him back into shape because he wasn't necessarily in shape. He was in the study. So he's only been blown out four times over like two months. And then I started using him on the right lead. I think the last night of high river on the second outfit. And then the next show in Strathmore, I put him on my good outfit. I left Bogart off again. I knew the season wasn't really for points or anything. And I started using sugar um, just to see if he would fit in on that slot. And, uh, he just got like better and better every race. One night he started so hard. He tightened the tug so, so tight. They slingshotted him backwards. He fell down on his ass, stopped the left leader. The left leader stumbled and then, you know, you know got up and and then we made a turn but like wasn't the it wasn't the like superstar turn you need like to to, to outturn anybody those are the sorts of things that sugar does it's just it's just that chaos but he just got such a big heart i really like those so to speak problem horses um, that do those sorts of things i don't know why like maybe i identify with them in some like sick and twisted way or whatever I, i don't know but it's just like i uh, you know, winter was the same way. I used winter for three years. Dad didn't hate him, but he, he really disliked him in the in the later years because he would do the same things. You'd back up when the horn goes. And, and Sugar's no different. Like, Sugar's going sideways. I got a brand new left leader with him first race. And a, the, the horse, Hank, it was his left leader, was his partner, was a really, really nice young horse. But, he you know, Sugar was messing him up and Hank doesn't know what's going on and, you know, I'm basically going in backwards to the barrels and I, I can't even turn around on the track and just like those sorts of things. Cause like, you know, sugar's just not moving and whatever. And I don't know, again, I don't know what it is because he's, he's got so much heart. He's such a competitive horse. He'll do, you know, anything to please you. He, he's uh, very like in your pocket, as you could say, he, he's just a, he's just got type of horse. And then for whatever reason, he just gets so anxious you know, during a race and he's just he's just all on the muscle and, and he's just got a very, very weird way of showing it. And and he doesn't have any like structural problems. He's as sound as they come. Um he doesn't have any breathing problems. Uh Renault scoped him obviously. So, you know, like it's it's not a it's not a product of, of anything else that would make him that anxious other than um it's in his mind. And uh, he's just such a competitive horse when the horn does go. So all you can do is get him in the barrels and, you know, blow that horn. I mean, he's my favorite horse right now, probably, or or at least one of them. He starts my whole outfit on the right lead. Uh, He cheats pretty bad (laughs) on the right lead. Um, Meaning, you know, he might turn a little earlier than you want to. He starts turning before you tell him. But I don't mind those sorts of things. I I can drive out of it and and just, you know, kind of pick my battles and and pick the horses that I'm going to put him with so I don't cheat as bad. But, yeah, that's the story on Sugar. Um, That was my first year with him. Last year, I got him halfway through. And then uh, this year, you know, um, he actually took a really, really bad spill in the pen in, in the pasture running around and playing. Obviously, I mean, I didn't see it. But it was a really warm day and and they were all running around and sweating and playing. And he must've took a spill because I come out and seen him the one day, his whole right side of his ass was all like really, really swollen up. And, we've had it before where horses will be running in the pasture and you'll come out and they have a broken hip because they they do the splits or whatever and and you know they're just horses i mean you can't stop those sorts of things when they get to a certain age they just get a little bit more brittle and sometimes they break their hip or they break their leg or whatever and sometimes it's on the track sometimes it's in the pasture anyways i kind of thought that that's what happened and like my heart just sunk i was like oh my gosh like (laughs) the best horse like the the one horse that i needed um this year to be competitive and, and uh he can't walk and I thought it was broken. It really didn't look good. It was so swollen. And then I called Dad. Dad happened to be home from work. And uh I called Dad to come look at him and, and he didn't think it was broken because he was putting weight on it a little bit like um when we would walk him around and we had to get him up. He wasn't he wouldn't get up and whatever. And then uh fast forward kept him on uh, some butte and banamine and, and you know just painkillers so he would at least be able to move and walk around. And, uh, it's been, I mean, that was right, right around Christmas. So whatever, it's been a little over a month, maybe close to two months now. And, uh, he's like better. He's not like near noticeably sore. Obviously all the swelling is gone. I don't think there's any structural damage. I think it was all, um, ligaments and muscle. I think he probably tore something in his ass and I'm not sure how that's going to cover this year. And for wagons, the, the ass end is where the, the strength is coming from. Um, on a horse you know when you watch a wagon horse run even even not behind the wagon they they squat their ass down so if that's if if he's weak on his on his hind end um, I'm not sure how it's going to turn out this season but he's a really really tough horse he's super super competitive he loves to train Um, so those types of horses um, they just do better They, they just seem to feel quicker they seem to not get um, affected by those sorts of things just because they have such big hearts. I'm going to get him on a little bit of a rehab program, uh, especially during the spring, and, and make sure I can I do everything I can do to get him, you know, if that muscle's torn, to get it back to 100% or whatever, rehab it, and, and do whatever I can. We'll go from there. So I'm not sure if I'll have him this year based on that. I mean, I'm being a little bit pessimistic because that, cause that type of thing worries me quite a bit. You know, I think most guys would probably say, you know he's fine. it was just a little bit of a slip and whatever and and I hope that is the case. so but anyways that that's a, a forty five minute explanation on who sugar is
0: well I, I I do say that sugar is a sweetheart and I will forgive him for the fact that he replaced Bogart. yeah
1: well see that that is the other thing too is like I needed a horse to play, replace Bogart and I needed a really good one because Bogart was a really good horse. He's just old. And, you know, I think I found one in sugar and I, and I actually think I'll probably end up racing Bogart again this year. I don't know how many races I'll get them in, but I think that I'll probably be using them like in those demo races in Calgary and stuff. So I just don't use my good ones for 10 days straight. And I still leave a little bit left in the gas tank uh, for the end of the season.
0: I mean, I didn't just do a happy dance but my boy is going to be on some shows.
1: Yeah. Bogart is such a funny horse. Like even last year when I used him, that's the great thing about, you know, truck wagon racing is that you can't race a horse when they're eighteen on the track. Like they, they just don't stay competitive. But with truck wagon racing it's not necessarily all about the running. A lot of the race, at least thirty percent of the race is in the barrels. So you can use an eighteen year old horse just to get you out of the barrels if the other three have all the run. And Bogart out of every single time I raced him last year, every single time I trained him, he wouldn't he didn't break a sweat once. He is so easy on himself. He he, he still runs pretty hard he just he doesn't let you know he he doesn't hurt himself he doesn't try too too hard it's almost like he's so old and wise he just like knows his limits and if he presses himself too hard he's not going to be there the next night so he, he's really easy on himself that way so I'll definitely have him you know for, for a few races this year
0: I think one of my favorite quotes from you last year um and you didn't even say it to me you actually said it to my mom Something happened in a high river at one point. I don't know what it was, but you said Bogart was the reason that you got out of the barrels. And I was like, okay, that's impressive that you gave credit to the
1: horse. Oh, yeah. I mean, there there were three or four years when I was trying to make it on the WPCA where, like, I didn't have any experienced horses whatsoever. The first year I raced in Grand Prairie, I, I literally had two wheelers, second-year wheelers, um, on the lead for the first race ever together, and then two brand-new wheelers right behind them. And, you know, it just, so, and I went through multiple years like that. So then I finally got horses together, the 2018 and 2019 seasons and then, or 2018, sorry. And then I went on the WCA and, and uh, more or less, I guess, sold those horses to my dad because I couldn't afford them. I kind of lost like the horses that I finally did have and finally did, you know, help build and, and that had experience. And then dad had Bogart and he, when I gave him those four horses, he gave me Bogart back. It's just really nice. I never had a horse like that. I had winner, um, who I actually didn't end up using that year because he, he hit his ankle running in a swell, swell up, swell, swell, swollen, well, swell, okay. swoll up. No, it's swelled. But anyways, I'm illiterate. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> he, uh, hit his ankle and, and, uh, I just couldn't get him quite to recover. He was, so eight, he was 18. He was so old. Um, and then he missed, like, one or two shows. And then I had to blow him out. There was no track times on the western. So that was pretty much the last season for winter just because I couldn't get him back into shape once I did get his ankle under control and, and him being at the age that he was. So then, like, the only horse I had was, like, you know, Bogart. and Like, that had any experience whatsoever. And it was the same thing last year. The only horse I had, I mean... I'd really have to rack my brain if I had... yeah had oh, yeah, Kodiak? I'd, yeah, yeah, Kodiak. He, I mean, he was a third or fourth year horse, been on the wheel his whole life. Um, I had him, I had Forrest, who was a second year horse, and I and he was brand new on the lead. That, but, you know, it's pretty much it. Like, as far as, like, old horses, like, that that, that know what they're doing, that are experienced, I mean, like, that's the whole game in shockwagon racing, from my experience, and... The people that I talk to and know and the things that I've seen guys do and, and you know the, the questions that I've had answered to me of guys that have raced for 50 years or 30 years or whatever. The, the best horses, the guys who always win Calgary, is a team of, of 15-year-old horses. They're not young horses. It, they're horses that have been around for 10 years. They're a team of veterans. It's very, very much like a hockey team. And the reason that is because it's a team sport and and things are running that much smoother. And it's a game of split seconds. You know, races are won or lost by hundreds of a second. So if you have all those old horses, it's just so much uh, smoother, um, providing they can still run and they start hard. Like I would say that the prime of a chuck wagon horse is from 10 to 15 years old. Logan Gorse, when he was on the podcast, he talked about Canadian Idol, I think the horse's name was. Yeah. And yeah, and he was a seventeen year old left leader and he said every day money he run he's ever had was that horse and had that horse on him. And when he won Calgary, that horse was on the outfit. And and I think these guys that are cycling horses through and, and don't keep those older horses, same thing I was doing when I started. And and I mean I I was doing it a bit differently. I was doing it because I was trying to find those horses that would last to seventeen and they would stick around. But regardless, you know, that's a, that's a really, really big advantage is, is having those experienced horses and, and having those horses that you can have for, like, 10, 15 years that last the whole time. And, and uh, because the one thing about it is, like, you can you can buy an experienced horse, but you can't train, you know, experience. You can't give a horse experience without, you know, racing him for 10 or 15 years. So it's just, like, to have that and, and a new horse, you know, and, and an old horse like say say if they're completely dead even everywhere else, you know, in terms of like run that that old horse is just going to work a little bit better every single time. He's been on better outfits. He's had more experience. He's started more times. When the horn goes, he knows what to do. And it it does for, for, from a guy who's raced brand new horses, you know, almost every single year. It makes it so much easier when you have horses that you don't not that you'd fight with them, but you don't necessarily have to fight with if something's going wrong or whatever. You can turn them loose and let them do their jobs more. You can give them more responsibility and trying to, instead of like trying to drive them all the time. And again, it's a a game of a hundred seconds. So, it's very very small margin for error and those old horses like bogart dad's got a bunch of them digger is his old right leader he's 18 this year he needs that horse he doesn't have that horse you know, you just can't replace those horses because you can't again just train you can't just give a horse experience you have to have them around for that long so there's those types of horses that those are the types of horses that win calgary those are the types of horses that make kurt benzmiller tough you know like luke Luke turnier even my uncle kirk those are the horses, the whole, the ones with experience that, you know, so to speak, win championships.
0: I kind of want to back a little bit. But You brought up Logan, and that reminded me what I wanted to talk about. Going back to Calgary, really interesting kind of turn of events with Logan and Dustin both deciding to go over to the North American Truck Wagon Championship. Mm-hmm. In my yeah. recent history, that's the first time that the reigning champion won't be there.
1: Yeah. No, it, it, again, it goes back to all the stuff I was talking about earlier, not to be like a Debbie Downer or whatever, but that's a product of the times. There, never in history has there been guys that are competitive wagons go that, that come from the CPCA originally. Like, it is, it has always, always been that the CPCA was a lesser association. And that's not a, like a, a jab or, or anything of the CPCA. I mean, we need the CPCA in the sport. We, we do. I mean, we, we need the CPCA. So it's not like a... The lesser jab or anything like that, but like they are, they get six wagons in Calgary. Uh, WPCA gets 21 or whatever this year or something, whatever the, the and it's always been that way. And the best guys in the world are always from the WPCA. And the guys that win Calgary aside every single year, aside from 1987 or something, there was one guy that won it from the CPCA. Um, all the guys were from the WPCA, all the guys that made the semifinals. Except for like one, almost every single year, we're from the WPCA. The WPCA was always like the premier association, and now you have a guy who just won Calgary the year before, and and Logan, like he's a, he's another guy like that we were talking about, like that that, that just like Aubrey, that you know he's he's one of those guys that's going to be another dominant champion in the sport. He he's one of the guys that's you know grabbing the torch from the other guys that that uh, are passing it. And, you know, he's, I don't know what Logan is. He's probably 30 to 40 or or somewhere in that age. And, you know, so if he wants to, he's got 25 years left. So, you know, he's got a long time and and he's right at the prime of his career probably. So he's the type of guy, he goes over and raises in a CPCA. So it's just kind of like, it's almost like a culture shock. It's like things like that would never have happened before. But when you look at how far the WPCA has fallen from where they were, and it's, it's not like bashing the WPCA it's it's a product of the sport of the whole. Like I don't think that he went to the CPCA because the CPCA is that much better or stronger because they've improved. He went back to CPCA because that's where he's from. And the benefits of being on the WPCA no longer outweigh being away from home and being away from family and, and work and sponsor money over there and whatever. So it's just like, especially when you can work, you know, part-time and in the, and, and be in the season. If you have a good job and race a wagon, I mean, that's, that's huge. That's huge income. It, it makes the whole thing um, doable that way. And and that's what all those guys in the CPCA do. It's, you know, most of them work and then race wagons on the weekend. And that's kind of how the CPCA is designed. Whereas the WPCA, it's like you're a full-time wagon driver and, and it's very, very unforgiving. And if you don't have the the funds, I mean, there's none coming in aside from prize money and sponsor money. So, Anyways, you know, the WPCA has lost to have like seven trucks to run for in the tour. Um, They don't have that anymore. I think when Calgary backed out and then, you know, I think that kind of scared a lot of guys. And was like, well, maybe that stability on the WPCA isn't there anymore if that can happen. So I I just think it's a smattering of, you know, um, factors. That went into a decision like that for Logan. I haven't t- talked to Logan or asked him why, but he's not the only one. Um, you know, Ross Knight raced over there instead of the WPCA last year. Ray Crotto's over there. Uh, Dustin's still on our side, obviously. But. Um, but oh, Ray Ternier.
0: Ray just announced that he's coming back to the WPCA this year.
1: Correct, correct. But but still, like you would never see those guys. Prompt, I mean, and Ray took like four or five years off or whatever. And we still have that episode that never aired. We did. We have to record another one. Well, we had technical Luke, difficulties, which was a big issue for that one. Yeah, we we I hadn't even told him that. We we lost half the podcast. Anyways, Luke Chernier is another one. Like, you know, Luke, that's a, that's a prime example of a guy who's won multiple Calgary's. I think he's won multiple worlds, if I'm not wrong. <laughs> one of the best to ever do it is Luke Chernier. And he left the WPCA. It really, really thins out the competition when you lose five guys like that because it's always a mix of you know ten guys that can win Calgary. So you know, like losing Logan and 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 Luke, it's it's just a product of the times and where the sport is as a whole. And it's not a it's not a result of the WPCA. It's not a result of the CPCA being better or improving. It, it, it's a result of the whole sport having a I wouldn't say like a, a wrong mindset but um it's not run very well it's not run uh, structurally like a business neither of the associations are um and, and there's a lack of growth uh because of that and it goes back in all the things we we're talking about earlier about not having new guys starting and, and uh, whatever so to me it's just like a really really big wake-up call almost when these sorts of things start to happen. I mean, I've been on this this tune for it feels like ten years. Ever since I knew that you know my graph was retiring and Rick Fraser was retiring and Jerry Bremner, and I was like, wait, who's replacing these guys? There's nobody that that can compete with them, or at least that can compete at that level right away to replace them. And not to mention, there's no new guys coming in in the bottom that are that are replacing the guys that are moving up. Like there was a very very obvious and evident. Um, lack of new talent coming into the sport. And it's been that way for 10 years or, or more. That, that's another forward thinking, another 10, 20 years. That's something that like, you know, personally I would like to work on as a sport, um, as a member of the WPCA, hopefully as a member of Calgary in the future is like focusing on the growth of the sport. And that's exactly, you know, if you talk to those guys that, that built the sport, that, that built the WPCA, older guys that have been around for a long, long time, you know, like my grandpa being one of them. Uh, he talks about Dave Lewis all the time. Um, you know, even Tommy Glass was always around, a uh, very prominent uh, competitor. Um, Buddy Benz Miller, those types of uh, pioneers that was like at the heyday of the WPCA. That's that's what those guys did. They were forward thinking, they had, they had a growth mindset um, because they were coming from nothing. And it's almost like right now in the WPCA, we came from you know having trucks to run for having big dashes big shows great sponsorship we came from the peak and it's almost like nobody took responsibility for maintaining that and and continuing the growth and the whole sport has fallen from that peak and we've yet to recover
0: i don't know if a lot of people know this but this year kirk is retiring
1: well again it's like i i don't know is he or is he not i mean he told me last year that that he was i think he was done last year and then uh i think he bought a helicopter i was on the phone with him uh and i, I asked him are you running or or what like what's what's the plan and uh, he said you know i bought my uh helicopter last year and i and they said i have more fun racing away than i do flying my helicopter so i guess i'll come back and whatever race right and uh so i i don't know it's he's ever going to give it up I think he's like a lot of guys it's not necessarily a money issue with Kirk Kirk's um but can you dumbbells... re- I
0: thought 65 was the age that you had
1: to retire yeah um I mean I I don't know is is are going to stick to that I mean maybe they will maybe it's just me being like optimistic that my uncle's going to stay in it or whatever um maybe they're maybe 65 is a good age limit for guys to retire but it's like if Kirk is Kirk's still a really, really strong guy. He's still really, really there um mentally. He's one of the smartest people, you know, you can meet. Again, he's done very well for himself. He's he's a former world champion, former Calgary champion. He's got all the resources still. He still enjoys it. Um, I don't think it's a it's a big burden on him to race a wagon. So it's like when you only have twenty-seven guys and, and we have such a problem building and growing talent as is. Are you ready just to force this guy out who's a good addition to the sport um, just because he's 65? Do you want to wait till he's 66, 67? I mean, he wants to go. So it's like, I don't know. You know, that's why it's kind of the the thing that it's like anything could happen in this world right now. You know, we never thought that we wouldn't race in Calgary last year, and then all of a sudden, boom, you are not racing in Calgary. So it's just like there's so many things up in the air. I think from, from an outside standpoint, I haven't talked to Kirk in a while, I think he still enjoys the sport enough that he would do it for a few more years. Um, I don't think it's it's too hard on him. I think he's pretty healthy physically and mentally. And if Calgary were to remove that rule because they needed um, a guy, maybe they, they go through a different um medical process to determine if he's physically and mentally fit, like like a formal process, um and, and they can do that for the future guys. But it's just like, you know, look at it this way say my grandpa when he was 65 and he retired if he's racing at 66 he can race he can still compete and drive better than you know, probably everybody i mean i mean who who was a better driver than him at that point when he was 65 i mean he's got more experience than everybody still physically strong still still mentally sharp like who, who's better than him and say like, well why why do they have to retire 65 it just doesn't make sense if, if that's literally still the premier you know, guy in the sport, the same as, and, and you know, Kurt Benjamin was, was very prominent coming into that, that time as well. Like, I'm not saying that he was back at 65 as well. I'm just saying that, you know, it's like Wayne Gretzky retiring from the Rangers, you know, probably a bit premature. It's like Wayne Gretzky still could have competed at that level for a long time. Just in our sport, they're forced to retire at, at 65 for, whatever reason right so i don't know maybe i kind of think that maybe that'll be a change we'll see maybe it won't be if
0: kirk is kind of forced to retire where what do you which guy do you think could move up into his spot of being competitive because realistically looking at last year's statistics had he gone to every show kirk would have been in that top 10
1: oh yeah i mean he has more horsepower still i think he probably has the toughest barn in the whole sport So he's definitely got all the tools, whether, you know, he can put it together one last time and win Calgary, win the world. I don't know. Um, I don't think he's putting as much into it, you know, capital wise as he was before. I don't think he has as many horses. I don't think he's as dialed in um, as he was when he won the world. And and that's something that will happen. You know, once you maybe once you win Calgary or win the world or whatever, and do what you want to do, um, maybe you're maybe it's kind of tired of sport. I don't know. I'm not in his head. He 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 can win. He's still got the talent. He's still got the 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 Barnes. If he retires, there's going to be somebody. If if he's number ten, there's going to be somebody that moves into number ten. If he's number one, there's going to be that somebody moves into number one the following year. There will be. The question is, is there somebody that grows to his caliber? And then there's somebody from the bottom who replaces the guy that grew in the Kirk's caliber, if that makes sense. It's from the bottom up. So, and the answer is no, there there isn't. I mean, I'm going to get a lot better next year. I feel like I'm going to be very competitive. I feel like Aubrey Marwell is going to be very competitive next year. I feel like guys like getting Ray Crotto back is is really, really good uh, for the sport. Ray's going to be a competitive guy. He's going to be a top wagon. Um, He might not be next year. He might not be the year after that. But if he races long enough, he was at the you know at the top echelon once before, he'll get to the top echelon once again. Chad Fike, he you know, Jordy Fike, um, maybe those guys are world champions in the future. There, there's there's lots of guys that that can improve, but there isn't guys, there aren't guys, sorry, that are coming in from the bottom in the bottom six and the bottom ten that are replacing those guys. Chad Fike, who started at a young age, Jordy Fike, who started at a young age, Kirk, who started at a young age. You know, there isn't those 15, 16, 18, 20-year-olds coming into the sport, and that's where the whole problem is. So, yes, somebody will replace Kirk in the top end, but nobody's replacing the guys that are moving up from the bottom end, and that's the whole issue.
0: Okay, again, being devil's advocate, go look at the Outrider pen. There's a good handful of those kids, or guys, sorry, I say kids because most of them are younger than me, and I feel really old when I talk to them. Most of them could eventually one day move into a wagon box
1: well that's the natural progression too right like mo- like when i the only reason i started out riding is because my grandpa told me that all the best wagon drivers started out riding because you you gain race experience you get you see a lot of races you you figure out horses you understand a horse's mouth while you're out riding you, you it's like it's like it's like Wayne Greske once said that he doesn't believe that kids should play hockey year round. They should play baseball in the summer, maybe, and, and hockey in the winter, um, because there's there's like cross learning. I'm not sure that there's a, there's a scientific term for it. I, I forget what it's called, but um, taking you know things that you've learned from from one sport to another, or from one discipline to another and that's exactly what outriding is so that's why there's a natural progression not to mention it's it's a way to get started in the sport it's a way to generate revenue to get your name out there and and those sorts of things to get people to know you to trust you to want to help you drive a wagon and and whatever so that's another big hit for the sport like when we don't have four outriders in calgary because or or you know when we, we have four shows or four outriders at those shows there was a very very big need for two shows of the year for more outriders double the outriders you know actually so um even when i started there was 25 outriders and the worst probably the the, the worst one was me by far and then the next worst guy um standings wise had had raced for about 20 years and uh you know was a still a very very prominent outrider and, and could ride any horse it was just that deep and that competitive for whatever reason, guys like Chad Fight, you know, moved out of the outriding pen and, and uh moved on and, and you know, all those other guys that were running the show, Chad Caujay moved on and it's the same problem. Nobody replaced them. And then you get rid of the four outriders at those two big shows, and then there's not a need for all those outriders. So now there was a lot of guys with a lot of experience that still had ten, fifteen years left, let's say in the sport, maybe maybe five, I don't know that really took all the spots from the young guys like myself. So like it was super, super hard to get started outriding because there was no opportunity because you had to be better than a guy who's been doing it for twenty years. There's lots of reps you can get in the morning riding horses. It's like learning to outride. There's lots of reps you can get, you know, in spring training and just riding horses nonstop. But the thing with outriding is that it's it's a again, it's a very, very small margin of error. It's like being a goalie or something. You can ride perfect for the whole year and nobody will notice you. And that's a good thing because if nobody notices you, you're doing your job. You can't win the race, but you can lose it for the, for the outfit. If you if you take two, three penalties a year, I mean, the, the, that's the top echelon is, is about two, three penalties a year, I figure, for the, the, the best outriders in the world. And if you're taking two, three penalties a show, in, in old standards, you're a piss poor outrider. You wouldn't even make it. But nowadays, there's guys that are riding nine heaps that are taking three penalties a night. So it's just, it's a very, it's the same thing. It's like a passing of a torch because there's not enough competition and, and it's almost like a rebirth. And the one bright side, I will say about the outriding ten that we had last year is most of them are very, very, very young. Like they're, I mean, they're my age or younger. And that's a really good thing for the sport. Cause those guys are probably going to be around for a long time now. And you know, we can, we can work off of that. We can build off of that. I would love to see three outriders in Pinocchio or Calgary or four outriders Pinocchio and Calgary. I mean, maybe that's a big ask. I would love to see three outriders everywhere. I know it's a cost thing for the, for the WPCA. Cause you have to have an extra, whatever, six horses and you can only pack so many down the road and whatever. But if we fix other issues in the sport, you know, Bringing in better shows, more lucrative shows, cutting down travel and expenses, maybe getting more guys back into Calgary. Those are some of the things that we could do to grow the sport to get more competitive competitors, get more outriders, grow, grow from there because it's just a really really hard sport to get started in. it 's not like hockey you can 't just you know buy hockey skates and a hockey stick and and learn to skate and uh, go to power skating. there's all kinds of coaches and resources out there on on how to play hockey you can go on youtube you can learn how to, you you can't do that in chef wagon racing you can't do that for out riding you have to know somebody you have to find in the inn there's a very very big barrier to entry and and that's a it's a big challenge for our sport to overcome
0: well, and I mean, I'm, I, again, I'm looking at the rankings from last year for Outriders. So if you look at a guy like Nolan Cameron, last year was his rookie season as an Outrider. But he's someone who wanted to do it for like ever. He came out of uh, Dustin and Logan's barns. But I remember like kind of talking to him and talking to Dustin and learning more about him. And one of the things they told him to do was to go get a job where he was riding a horse. Uh, whether that was working in a feedlot or whatever that was because that was how he was going to learn and that's how, you know, he was going to cut out that cost of having to, you know, like you said, you can't just go buy skates and learn how to skate. You actually have to ride a horse to be able to do that job. And he did that and he ended up being sixth in the world overall. So, I mean, I think if drivers or, you know, other outriders if there's a way that we can entice kids or entice guys to come and learn more about it and learn, you know, what they can do in the off season to get to that point where they can be outriders, that's a good thing. And I mean, even Jaron and Ben who came down with Tuff and Dean, they were originally going to go and outride in the WCA and we're going to be a part of that outriding clinic that you were supposed to put on, but COVID and everything, blah, blah, blah. But the Mm -hmm. WCA was going to take that step in building the sport and adding those riders. And that was something that Ben and Jaron wanted to be a part of. And you know what? I'm going to give those two credit because I'm not going to lie. From my perspective, they were a lot like sugar in the first few shows in High River. But (laughs) towards the end they actually were really good outriders and they had gotten their sea legs under them and they were doing well and you know they had gone from being a hot mess to you know building up to maybe this year they can get up into that middle of the pack so it's finding those ways to just keep building that
1: yeah like so there's a lot to unpack there like First also, all, maybe
0: I was completely speaking at a turn because I'm not an outrider. I'm just watching it from the stance, so.
1: Well, no, like, so, so those guys improved huge. Like, they did, all of them. Nolan, um, Jaron, Daniel Chuck, Ben McLennan, Hayden Mottawillo. I mean, who's who else was new? Rory Armstrong. Rory was, like, really, really good outrider last year. And he started with me. It's been a long time coming for Rory to, like, fully crack out and fully make it as an outrider. And, you know, Rory's a prime example of, like, if he didn't have the, the persistence and the determination to like be an ladder that he did, you know, he, he would have be a guy that got phased out of the sport because there wasn't a, there wasn't a place for him and there wasn't anywhere to gain experience from uh, because he couldn't get in any races. It wasn't that like, you know, and he's not going to be very good when you start. Nobody is. The same thing with Ben and Jaron and, and uh, Nolan and those guys are still going to screw up nonstop for like the next, you know, three years or, or in, in outriders terms. I mean, they they might have a clean show and and every now and then, but the top echelon, again, is is about, you know, five seconds in penalty a a year, um, maybe three seconds in penalties a year. And those guys are still going to take 20, 50 seconds penalties um, every year for the next few years. And and that's just the reality of it because you, you can't, same thing as, as the horses you can't just like get that experience you, you have to ride the races, to get the experience and It was the same thing for me i mean i took all kinds of penalties uh when i started out riding and i don't know what it's been seven or eight years now and and uh three or four years i would say i've really came into my own where like you know i don't have the interest in it um anymore i don't I, I never really was that interested in being an outrider which is different from those guys because that's what they want to do but you know i'm, I'm a guy now that uh, you know, I, I, uh, Kurt Benzmiller, I rode for him last year, top guy in the world. He's, he's the best guy out there without any question. And, and he can call on me and, and ride a horse and I can go ride a horse that I never rode. And, I, and I'm there. I'm, I'm there every single time. And that's only a product of experience, not talent or, or anything like that. It's just it's it's being around long enough, just surviving long enough to to make it, to be there. And that's something that those young guys can't do. Kurt can't go call them, you know, throw them on I mean, he can physically that can happen and it has happened and it will happen again. Um he'll use those guys or or somebody else will use those guys and but but if it's for a hundred thousand dollars, it's a little bit different. If it's for the Dash in Calgary, I guess it's only fifty now, but if it's for a Dash or, or and it's not about the money anyway, it's more about pride, which is which is the most important thing for, for why we're racing wagons. Um, it's for the belt buckle, I and mean, uh, those things are priceless, right, and, and bragging rights. So, you know, if, if it's for a championship, you 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 have to call on a, an experienced guy that you know is going to be there that, it, you know, maybe he hasn't rode the horse or whatever that you can rely on and you can comfortably know as a as a driver that you don't have to worry about your outriders and it might mess with your head a little bit if you have a new guy behind there. So you have to have a spot for those young guys to hang on long enough so they can gain that experience, so they can become veterans. And that's what I did. That's what Rory's doing. Um, in another couple of years, Rory will be you know, as good as they come. You know, he's, he's he's probably close already. He's been around a long time. In Montalwello, same thing. When he, I mean, he, he started really, really good, not like a lot of people. Um, he's, he's, a, he's a talented outrider, a very talented lead man. He started at a young age, and he was really good at it. Like you know, I he,
0: did that interview with Ethan last year, and he said it. He just, he, if it was a horse, he got on it.
1: Oh yeah, it's just, it's just, yeah. It goes back to everything. It's an experience thing. The, the other thing I will say, Kath, is that none of those guys, and, I, and I'm not taking a shot at them, but they wouldn't be there last year if it were like a year that that I was coming in, because last year we had. You know, you talk about Nolan and Jaron and, and, you know, whatever. We had six outriders. It was like their first year, and they were riding, like, four uh, heats a night. There's So much opportunity last year. I told every kid I could that wanted to become an outrider. I told another guy um, a few months ago that, you know, said, hey, man, I want to try outriding. Like, can you help me? I said, if you want to try, like, now is the time. And if anybody's listening to this and you think about, <laughs> you think you want to become an outrider, now is the time. There are new guys out there that you can compete with that you can you can still learn and there's still opportunity to become an outrider and it's kind of the same as wagons I guess without the cost or excluding the cost sorry there's opportunity right now and once these guys like Nolan and Rory and and Ethan and Hayden and you know whoever else is is new um, I just forget Jaron Ben once these guys get five years under the belt there's not going to be that opportunity anymore because they're all young they can all outride till they're 30 or, or whatever. Um, and if you're a new guy coming in and, and there's a field full of experienced outriders like it was when I started, there's not going to be that opportunity. So that's, a again, it's like an area of the sport that we need to fix. We need to find a way to bring in new outriders. New outriders um, turn into old outriders, turn into drivers, maybe not all the time, but sometimes. And, uh, you know, that, that's important for our sport. So, yeah, uh, that, that's all I got.
0: I mean, last year was a really interesting year because we lost a lot of top guys. I mean, Quade went over to the CPCA. Keegan didn't come back up from the States. Rory, I mean, he was still in the top four, but he didn't come to every show. So, even, it, even
1: chance, Flad, too. Um, you know.
0: Well, Fladdy he, he ran, but I think he only did it for the really big races. I mean, Chad Bike and Ray Crado both got on horses. Like, I mean, last yeah. year was a really different year in a lot of aspects.
1: Well, even myself, like I didn't have any intentions of outriding last year and I don't have any intentions of outriding next year, but there are going to be guys that call my phone that ask me to outride and I'm going to go outride for them because it's a team sport, but it's a, yeah, it's it's um the same thing as the wagons right now. Um there's a, there's a passing of the torch, there's a lack of competition and there's a lot of new blood that's inexperienced in terms of winning championships or Um, Things like that. And uh, it's going to be really, really interesting to see, you know, who shakes out on top after a couple of years and and, uh, who continues to grow and and who, you know, maybe stops growing or, or even starts to regress. Well, I
0: think we've ripped down everything from, you know, what's wrong in the world right now to, uh, you know, optimistic things like sugar and then went back to, you know, being a downer. I guess to kind of finish this off, giving everybody a heads up, uh, my goal is to do more interviews and more podcasts. Uh, Me and Dayton have kind of, you know, figured out a way that we can do that. So you might not always hear him on the podcast, um, but uh, we will get this out more frequently. Absolutely. I am working on the next episode to come out two weeks from this episode. Uh, Women of the Wagons is back 100%. uh, And new episodes of each podcast will be dropping uh, every
1: other Thursday. Perfect. Well, don't forget, it's about five or six weeks from spring training. Um, We just got a big dump of snow here in Calgary but and it's minus 20 as well so it's kind of it's kind of been a weird winter but we're pretty close to that warm weather we're going to start getting the new horses out um starting getting everything ready the track that sort of thing and uh yeah, we'll be full swing here so will everybody else um that's racing this year like you said the tarp sales are coming up so it's a really really exciting time of the year and uh there's all kinds of stuff this, that uh, uh, we can do absolutely on the front end and there's two dandies there he's got that wagon in full flight here's the wire but that's a day in the country